We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm fortunate to have an experienced staff, guys like Eric and Jack, and a roster of players who want to help this franchise take the next step. We're all working to build a culture where players and staff can respect each other's point of views and the way that we do things and continue to be very professional with one another. At the end of the day, we're all a family, and we're working towards the same goal, and that's to win. I just wanted to get that out there so everybody understands I wasn't as clear as I probably needed to be, and I own that, and that's on me. There's nothing that says we're a little bit messed up right now more than having to read from a prepared statement. That was Ron Rivera earlier this morning reading from a prepared statement. More on that coming up in a moment. Uh, ben Standig's going to join us in the final two segments of the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Ron Rivera stuff with Ben, but we're going to talk a lot of football as well as we are two days away from the preseason opener against the Cleveland Browns. The show today brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie's online casino offers everything you would want. Every table game available with plenty of options. There are 30-plus ways to play blackjack at MyBookie. They've got craps, they've got slots, they've got roulette options. MyBookie's online casino has over $2 million in jackpots available right now. Secure up to $1,000 in a bonus with a $10 casino chip by using my promo code KevinDC when you sign up at mybookie.ag. Football season is right around the corner. Of course, we've got preseason games starting tomorrow night uh, and throughout the weekend. You know, last weekend was technically um, the first weekend of a long run of football on the weekend, but that football game, the Hall of Fame game, was on a Thursday night. This is truly the first weekend uh, and it will last right through February and the Super Bowl, where we have where we'll have football every weekend. Uh, I don't love preseason football, as most of you know, but some of my friends think that the best opportunity for betting on the NFL comes in the preseason. Washington, by the way, a three point underdog at Cleveland on Friday night uh, at my bookie, but my bookie's got plenty of. Prop uh, bets for the upcoming NFL season. They've got lots of uh, season-long contests as well, including a $100,000 stake in their $10 entry survivor pool. Uh, that's a pretty low entry fee for a survivor pool that's going to pay out a hundred grand. Uh, go to my bookie for all your betting needs. As I've mentioned before, my bookie has fair point spreads, fair pricing. Uh, And their online casino really is top shelf. Use my promo code KevinDC when you get there, and you'll be able to realize some big sign-up bonuses, including up to $1,000 on your sports betting account. So, you know, Ron Rivera this morning, I think, offered up a mea culpa of of sorts. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of his prepared statement and a lot of what was asked afterwards. He did admit foot and mouth. Um, he did admit, uh, uh, responsibility. He owned it. 
Um, I still, you know, 24 hours later, think Ron was just riffing uh, when he admitted for all the world to hear, and without any prompting, by the way, that a number of players came to him directly to express concern about Eric Bieniemy's coaching style. You know, I know that he added that he told players to go to Bieniemy directly, you know, and that Bieniemy would enlighten him as to why he coaches the way he coaches, but he created a distraction. You know, he put into everyone's mind the possibility that Bieniemy's style might be an issue for some players. And as I said on yesterday's show, he just shouldn't have said what he said. And he admitted that today. Um, he did. He took ownership for it. Again, it was, you know, a roundabout way. And, you know, he tried to extricate himself from, you know, uh, the the comments at the end of that, you know, answer yesterday when he talked about Jack Del Rio and himself being head coaches and Eric Bieniemy not having that experience and, you know, sort of suggesting that you become a little bit less rigid and a, rigid and a little bit more flexible when you become a head coach. He talked more about that, uh, you know, to a certain degree. Ben pointed that out to me this morning on radio, and I think it was a good observation. Um, but look, no one else was responsible for what Ron did. I still can't believe how many of you actually think that that was some sort of media concoction. It wasn't. If it had been a media concoction, it would have been reported it wasn't reported, people. It was just transcribed as this is what Ron Rivera said today, unprompted. Um, so, of course, nobody else was responsible. Nobody even had it in their mind before yesterday that enemy style might be rubbing players the wrong way or might be of concern. But now it is there. You know, whether or not it means anything, time will tell. I still don't think it means much unless it was a group of veteran players that went to Ron. And in thinking a little bit more about that specifically, you know, if you're really doing some sort of probability chart on who it was that went to Ron, you know, the number of players, actually it's more likely that it was a group of veterans. I mean, do you really think that it was a group of rookies who may or may not make the team that are going to risk that long shot chance of making an NFL team by complaining about the coaching? I mean, just saying, it doesn't seem like that would be a rookie move or a new player, first-year player move. With that said, I still think that unless Terry McLaurin was one of the, you know, one or two offensive players among the number of players that went to Ron, that this isn't really going anywhere. You know, Ben raised um, in his story, and we'll talk to him a little bit uh, about it when he jumps on with us in the, in the next segment. He raised in his story in The Athletic uh, last night um, that, you know, this might be more about Ron than the players, that Ron may not be feeling great about Eric Bieniemy's style, a style Ron has referred to as loud and about making people, you know, comfortable, being uncomfortable. And maybe that's why Ron brought up that he and Del Rio have the head coaching experience and Eric doesn't have that perspective. Um so perhaps it's not the players necessarily, but the head coach or other coaches on the staff who feel that way. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, go over everything that I said on the show yesterday, but, you know, there were a couple of other thoughts that I had and something that was told to me that I'm going to read to you in a moment. But, you know, Ron really is the, he's the head coach. You know, if there's an issue with the Eric Bieniemy coaching style, um, Ron shouldn't speak about it as an Eric Bieniemy thing. That's him. He can change that if he wants. Now, he hired it, but if he doesn't like it, you know, when, you, when you're the head coach, this is us. This is us coaching the team. I'm not going to single out somebody specifically, especially when it's borderline critical. It just was not wise yesterday. Um. There was also this. Jason Wright last week, uh, somebody sent this to me and somebody said, this you know, was not something that necessarily pleased everybody. He did an interview with Jason Reed. Uh, Jason Reed, of course, uh, you know, for years at the Washington Post covering the team. He was at the radio station uh, briefly doing a morning drive. 
Um, I've known Jason for a long time now. I think Jason's a really good writer. Jason wrote a story um, about Eric Bieniemy, uh, and the quotes in here uh, include this following quote from Jason Wright. Jason Wright said about Eric Bieniemy, quote, He's been the single biggest accelerant to the culture change Ron was brought in to do. Ron is allowing EB to operate like a head coach in many ways, and that's because EB has the skill set of a head coach. Closed quote. There's more, and I'm going to get to some of the other things that Jason Wright said here in a moment, but he's been the single biggest accelerant to the culture change Ron was brought in to do? Really? He's been here six months? The culture change Ron was brought in to do, he's been here going on season four, but now we've got the guy in the building that can really do it, that can really accelerate the culture change. I don't know if Jason meant it as a dig at Ron versus just a building up of Eric Bieniemy, but it kind of comes off as both. You know, and as far as EB having the skill set of a head coach, how would he know? I mean, seriously. How would he know? I mean, 17 football organizations, NFL football organizations, decided that he didn't have the skill set of at least a good head coach, and they passed on him. You know I am skeptical about Eric Biennemi. I've admitted that. I, I can't ignore the fact that Washington was the only team willing to offer him a job and it was as an offensive coordinator. I'm I'm not going to ignore that set of facts. I am also intrigued with Eric Biennemi and rooting for Eric Biennemi. I'd love to see somebody like him who's been in the shadows, who's been knocked down several uh, pegs here over the last year, year and a half, actually prove everybody wrong. And it would actually be nice if that happened here. I'm not as invested in being right about this one as I have been other things because I I actually don't really know what to make of him as an offensive coordinator. I just know that nobody wanted to give him a chance as a head coach and there was only one other team even interested in interviewing him as an offensive coordinator. But I think it's a style over substance thing and I think there's a chance he might prove it. We'll see. There was more from Jason Wright in the Jason Reed column. Quote, the level of intensity and preparation and the focus in both meetings and practice is on a level that has not been since I've been here on the offensive side. Players are in the film room early and his coaches are in the film rooms early because the standard of preparation has gone way up. It is a night and day difference with him at the helm, and the accountability and the attention to detail are being discussed and executed with a new level of rigor that gives me so much confidence and excitement about what's coming, closed quote. Look, I'm, I'm not about to sit here and tell you that he's wrong. He might be right about all of that. He might be. But I will tell you this. This is my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I just don't think Jason Wright should be doing interviews anymore about the football side of the building. I'd put a stop to that ASAP. You know, there are a few reasons um, I would uh, give for not letting him talk to the media about football operations. Number one is it's not his area of responsibility. There is a head football person in this organization right now. Whether people like it or not, it's Ron Rivera. It's not Jason Wright. Uh, And I would add to that that the relationship he has with the head coach seems to be a bit frosty. You know, remember the Mike Jones story from The Athletic uh, two months ago? Mike Jones wrote a piece on Jason Wright. Ron Rivera was not unavailable to comment. He declined to comment for the story. You know, it was, for the most part, a fairly positive piece on Jason Wright. The head coach declined to comment for the story. I think a lot of people in that building, I think a lot of people in sports media in this town know that Ron and Jason aren't exactly super tight. They're not close buds by a long shot. It's not for the team president, the guy that is not involved in the football operation, 
to be speaking publicly about the football operation. That's my opinion. In some organizations, you have that. You know, typically it's an owner and then the football person. That's a different scenario. You know, when it's the owner, when it's Jera, you know, along with, you know, the coaching staff. He's not the team president as in the guy that runs the football operation. He is the guy that runs the other side of the building, the business operation. You know, maybe Jason is angling right now for more than just his business-related responsibilities. And if he wants to work on the football side, he's entitled to try and go get those responsibilities, to get that title expanded with the new ownership group. Go for it if that's what he really wants. Nobody's going to stop him. I doubt he'd end up getting that gig. He has no experience in doing that. But he's certainly entitled to try. But until somebody adds that responsibility to his job description, to his job title, I don't think he should be stepping on Ron's toes. Any story about Eric Bieniemy, that story should include quotes from Eric Bieniemy players and coaches, including the head coach. Remember last year when Jason Wright, you know, scolded Channel 7 Scott Abraham when Scott Abraham answered Carson, uh, asked Carson Wentz, excuse me, a few tough questions but completely reasonable questions? I don't think that made the football people happy, and I wouldn't be surprised if his quotes in this Jason Reed story got the attention of the football side of the building as well. But hey, what do I know? Just here to observe and give my two cents. You know, at this point You know, barring a season of double-digit wins along with a playoff win, I think we're heading towards a total house cleaning at the end of this upcoming season. And by the way, next offseason could be the beginning and will be the beginning of the Josh Harris ownership of the football team. He owns the football organization now. But there just isn't anything, given how late the deal was finalized, that they could do with Ron or anybody else on the football side. But next January, they'll be able to sell a new GM that this place is pretty attractive. They'll be able to sell a new head coach that this place is pretty damn attractive. First of all, they've got some good young football players on the team. They'll have a top five salary cap space situation and maybe a top ten pick. You know, a pretty clean slate to build it the way a new GM wants to build it. It will be attractive here in January if there is a total house cleaning. Um, I'd say the odds favor a total house cleaning and perhaps a name and brand cleanup on aisle five as well. I think all of those things are going to happen next January. Look, they could end up having a really good season. And that could change it. And it's going to be an exciting season and an intriguing situation because of the Sam Howland, Eric Bieniemy storylines, the Chase Young storyline. You know, whether or not this defense can carry them into contention. The only thing, by the way, that would limit next offseason a little bit would be an 8-9 and nine or 7-10 and 10 season this year. That's not going to help anybody. That's a worry for, for me because if they're not a playoff team – and they're eight and nine or seven and ten because they're really good on defense, then they're not going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. You got to be three and fourteen or four and thirteen, maybe worst case five and twelve to have a chance at the quarterback. You know, and if if you go eight and nine or seven and ten, maybe Sam Howell played well, but more likely than not, the new GM's going to be wanting to draft a quarterback. We'll see how the whole draft thing plays out. You know, there are probably two or three names that we don't even know of right now that are going to rise through the, you know, round three through five level into a late first or mid first round position by the time we get to mock draft season. I'm talking about like once college football starts. Uh, The first preseason game is on Friday night, and uh, Ben Standig uh, has some information as it relates to the quarterback uh, situation. I don't think it's a shocker. We will discuss all things Commanders with Ben Standig, starting right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this next segment of the show is brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools out in Vegas. I was just out at the Circa hanging out with Aaron. Uh, I missed Tim Murray when I was out there. We did not connect. We talked, though. Um, But the Circa is something else. And their two contests are the biggest in Vegas. The Circa Million, $6 million in guaranteed prizes. Pick five teams every week against the spread. Uh, and the winner takes home a million dollars. Top 100 pays out. The Circa Survivor Pool, $8 million guaranteed to the winner or winners. Uh, pick one team straight up every week to win. If that team loses or ties, you're out. I'm sure most of you know what a Survivor Pool is. Uh, and you can only pick uh, one each team once per season. But $14 million in guaranteed prizes, no rake. Uh, all the extra money goes to the prize pool. Entries are available to be made until September 9th at 2 p.m. That's the day before the NFL's first Sunday of the year. You must register in person at a circus sportsbook in Nevada, but weekly picks can be made through a proxy from anywhere, which is what I did when I was out there. So you do have to be out there uh, to sign up, um, but it will be exciting. The Circa Million and the Cir- Circus Survivor Pools all uh, presented by the Circus Sportsbook, the biggest and best sportsbook in Vegas. All right, jumping on with us right now, uh, and you can hear him. He's in his car heading back from the park in Ashburn. Uh, an active 24 hours from yesterday morning until this morning. Um, ben wrote about it. Uh, I really wanted to talk more football with you because I've kind of addressed a lot of the thoughts that I've had over the last 24 hours about Ron and the enemy stuff. Um, but before we get to football stuff, just tell me overall, as we sit here and digest the comments he made yesterday and the mea culpa to a certain degree this morning, what your thoughts are in a nutshell. Well, my thoughts are based on your intro that I want to go back to Circa because their uh, pool area is the greatest thing of all time. That's that, that's where my thoughts are now. So you've been to the swim stadium. Yeah, when, when the commanders or whatever they were called at that time played in Vegas, Yeah, uh, you know, two years ago, yeah, uh, you mentioned Tim and Aaron. They, uh, yeah, they invited all of us over and you know, the, the, the best things about Vegas, I mean, there's a lot of best things, but in terms of being in the casino area is the sports book and the pool area. But you can't combine them, because at least we thought, because one's indoors and one's out. And then Circus says, well, hold that thought, <laughs> and uh, came up with the greatest concept ever with pools and massive screen TVs. You can even gamble, the foods. there. I mean, it is the definition of a one-stop shop in heaven. Yeah, I I think I talked about it yesterday, but this is like an unbelievable scene. Now, you were out there for a football weekend. I have not been out there for a football weekend, but this is a stadium seating around six pools and a 40-foot HD screen with all of the betting screens surrounding that. It seats 4,000 people, and I can only imagine what it is like on a Saturday during college football season or an NFL Sunday. Um, But it is incredibly impressive, and uh, yeah, for those that are planning any sort of trip to Vegas, you know, you can stay there. It's a great spot to stay. The casino's fine. Um, but that swim stadium and their sports book inside are the best sports books uh, in Vegas. Um, all right. With that said, uh, maybe 
maybe I'll plan a weekend during football season. Uh, when is the, by the way, I'm looking at this right now. When's the bye week again for Washington? It's like the beginning of December. It's a bye week, and then they're at the Rams. So if you really want to be adventurous, oh. you can absolutely go to Vegas. And yeah. then go to LA. Here it is. December 10th is the bye week. So the 11th and the 10th is the bye week. And then, as Ben mentioned, the following week, they're at SoFi to face the Rams, which is nothing more than just a quick 50-minute flight or a three-hour drive, if you want to do it that way, through the desert. I've done both uh, many times. Um yeah, that would be great. The only problem with that time of the year, well, it'll be beautiful out there. Like, you know, it, it, although it does get chilly in Vegas, let me just mention, in the wintertime it gets chilly, um, is you're, you're approaching holiday season, but, and, you know, at that point, what's their record going to be? Are you going to really want to stick around to see the Rams and Washington, two teams? By the way, I think the Rams might be awful this year. I think there's a chance they could really stink. Don't you? Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. The you know We talked a lot about the process already because of Josh Harris here in that concept of sort of slow, you know, really slow playing your build, whereas the Rams did the exact opposite, went all in. And, yes, they did win the Super Bowl, but you can see the peril of that approach if you don't win it because they're, they, they've gone straight down to how to get rid of a bunch of guys. Uh, you know, because of age or money or whatever. Uh, so, so sure. And by the way, like, if you're the type of person that's even debating now, hearing this, going to Vegas and then to L.A., if you're that type of mentality, you'll find an excuse to tell your family to buzz off for a couple days. <laughs> yeah. By the way, you know, on the Rams thing, it is really one of those interesting things in the NFL over the last, you know, five years. They were all in. Look, they were all in with Jared Goff, and they got to a Super Bowl. I mean, they were spending and getting rid of draft choices then, um, and it paid off for them. I mean, they ended up going and to the Super Bowl and winning it, and again, early on, they went to a Super Bowl and lost it um, to New England. I mean, sign me up for that plan. You know, the truth is they're going to stink because you're right. They've lost some players due to, you know, massive salary cap, you know, uh, issues. But if Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup were just healthy, they'd still be a pretty good football team. You know, they still have enough really good players to be a decent football team, but we don't know about Cup's you know, health. We don't know enough about Matthew Stafford's health, and that's the big one, right? Because they went all in on Stafford, and they probably thought, we're going to get three to five years of Stafford's you know, best three years and maybe a couple of years at the very end of his career, and after a season and a half, he's injured. We'll see what, what he looks like this year, but, and they got nobody behind him. I mean, I think it's Brett Rippon, if my memory serves me correctly, because I was talking about this with Cooley actually over the weekend. I mean, he stays in touch with Sean McVay, um, and I think it was I think it's Brett Rippon. Oh, they drafted Stetson Bennett too. Oh uh, uh, yeah, in the yeah. fourth round. Uh, but it's very possible that when we get to that week of the season, it's not what you would call in the trade a meaningful game for either team. It could be meaningful for for both teams. You never know. Um, and maybe Washington will be alive and well by then. I mean, we both think that they are better than the six-and-a-half number um, on the over-under. Uh, uh, yeah, by the first week of December, they have been largely still alive Three mathematically and all that. But, yeah, you know. Three straight years. I mean, they have been yeah. in the hunt despite horrible starts. They have gotten themselves back into by dis- – like, I'm looking at this right now, okay? In 2020 – on December 13th, they beat the 49ers to get to 6-7, and seven, which I think at that point put them in first place or tied them for first place in the NFC East. And we know what that year was about. In 2021, uh, on December 12th, uh, on December 6th anyway, they were 6-6 six and six after beating Vegas uh, in, you know, at Allegiant Stadium. You were there for it. You were at the Circa the day before. Um and they were 6-6 six and six and very much in the hunt for everything. And then last year, you know, you get to the early portion of December, they're 7-5-1 and one on basically the same bye week that they had last year they have this year. 
So um, I forgot about that, that they have exactly the same bye week this year that they had last year, week 14. That's unusual. Um, But, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So um, up for air after another day in Ashburn, but uh, a day where Ron started the, the day with his I put my foot in the mouth, mea culpa. So why don't you just sum up how you feel about what transpired uh, beginning with Ron's comments, you know, offered up free of charge to everybody yesterday and where we landed today. Well, let me let me backtrack this a little bit for a second. You know, yesterday when this all went down, you know, Rivera typically talked after practice, but the last two days he's talked before, so roughly like 8.40 in the morning. Maybe it's the lack of coffee, I mean, or spilling asleep, whatever. But, like, I didn't, like, jump out of my seat when I heard that quote. I mean, it was notable, understandable. But, like, I didn't think to myself it was going to be this, you know, national story all of a sudden. And I think what I realized was that I, I have been so programmed over the last three years that a national story involving the commanders involves lawyers and Congress right. and Roger Goodell, <laughs> like, a, a a relatively normal, uh, the coach said something weird, or he didn't, so I was like, eh, <laughs> like, but it's not, it's not that big of a deal. But I'm like, oh, that's right, we're in a new era now. We're back to being what normal teams deal with. And not to say that what Rivera did or said or, or, or anything was, was a standard operating procedure for teams, but it is more the norm of what, what happens around the league versus what we've been used to. So that's just my own personal uh, entry into this. The uh, but to go from there, you know, today, yeah, he, he so first of all, he comes at it to say, I want to start, a, I want to, I want to share some thoughts about what I said yesterday. Okay, and then I look up and notice he's reading a statement, yeah. and I'm thinking, wait a minute, a statement? Like normally, you're reading that if it's some of the things I just mentioned, right? So, you know, so some some significant deal. This is a relatively speaking a minor story, at least at this point. Uh, so it was interesting that he was reading from the statement. Um, he, he addressed, he didn't address so much the headline from yesterday, meaning that players came to him to express some concern with the enemy's coaching style, approach, what have you. He, he focused more on some of the other parts that I thought were interesting initially, and that was, um, you know, anything that was sort of, you know, questioning the enemy's approach, comparing him potentially to Jack Del Rio because he mentioned both coordinators yesterday. Um, I, I think some of that stuff he he wanted to clean up. I, I guess I did. Ultimately, though, I didn't really get the feel that he was changing his opinion on anything. I just think he felt like, okay, fine. If everybody is misunderstanding this to some degree, I guess I put my foot in my mouth, as he said. And he tried to clarify it, but I didn't like if people were upset that he said anything, I don't think he I don't think he changed that approach. He didn't say like well, I shouldn't have said anything. He just was like, All right, I maybe I could have chosen better words. But he stuck with the idea that, hey, I've, I've told the players have said to me there's some concerns. I'm telling them to go talk to their, you know, direct supervisors, so to speak. Uh, and that, you know, he's saying, hey, I think there's been some good progress from those conversations. Look at our recent practices. We seem to be doing better. The offense is picking up uh, picking uh, up their play. So he's just spinning it as a positive, even though it still feels kind of weird and potential that like there was some message being sent, but that's a little nebulous as to what, what exactly that was. Yeah, I mean, I'll start right there. Like, you said a couple things I want to go back to here in a moment, but overall, what you wrote, and I talked about this today, you took kind of a contrarian view last night in your column on this, and you and I actually talked, um, not on the air, we did uh, earlier today, but we talked last night, and you know, after thinking about it, and then listening to him this morning, I actually think your take had some validity that, you know, this may be more about his feelings about Eric Bieniemy, or maybe the staff's opinions about Eric Bieniemy. Um, 
and maybe there's a level of something going on there. Uh, I talked about, you know, on radio today and at the beginning of this podcast, you know, the Jason Wright comments from the Jason Reed story last week. I mean, we know that that relationship isn't close, and I think that's an interesting part of where Ron's head might be with all of this as well. But, you know, netting it out, is Eric Bieniemy having a problem with the players? Because I hadn't heard anything about that until Ron told us about it yesterday. Right. It was so funny. Like, I had so many people, you know, obviously you can't take Twitter too seriously how people react, but I had so many people saying, how is this a story? Everybody knew what Bieniemy was like as a coach. What are we talking about? Right. And I'm like, sure, but it, it's happening here. Like, it's not, you know, whatever he did in Kansas City isn't relevant to here, other than to say, hey, I, I heard, you know, I, like, I remember when Scott Brooks got hired by the Wizards, and it seemed like a pretty good hire, right? Because, you know, look at the success OKC had. But I remember talking to people who covered the Thunder, and they were like, eh, I yeah, don't know, man. Right. I think you're going to be disappointed. And then I saw it for myself. I'm like, oh, I get it now. So I think there's some of that. Like, okay, it's one thing for everybody to say what the enemy does, but then you experience it, and that's where I guess some of these players have had, had some had some issues and went to run. I think part of the problem here also has been even today we don't like we don't know like on a scale of one to ten what level of concern was existing. Were they just saying, "Hey, Ron, practice is a little bit faster. Uh, is this, this going to continue to escalate? Where we're we going, or is it like?" Hell no! I'm not part of this. This is nuts. Was it? Were, were these concerns said uh, Monday, or they said at minicamp? Like I, that's the part I think is also unclear. I, I don't know. He hasn't. He didn't say that. And I think that leads to some of the issues. I'm assuming these comments were made during training camp because that's you know really where things have been picked up, uh, you know, aggressively and, and all that. But you know, we don't really know some of that, and I think that's notable as well as you know look the players getting their first taste of of Eric Bieniemy, who is not just as he is, is he uh, uh you know a uh, uh, an aggressive coach who, who's you know really just intense seemingly at all times he's coming after a guy Scott Turner who you know not saying it's a negative but Scott Turner I never heard in practice Scott Turner personality wise is the complete opposite of Bieniemy. you know very low key at least seemingly based on when he's been around us and on the field, so it's a it's a definitely 180 for the players. Uh, so again, I, I I'm not surprised that there's some shock to the to the system, but to the degree, uh, you know, I don't think we know, and that's I think part of the confusion here. Yeah, uh, I don't know what we know about this whole thing. Um, it's interesting, uh, but you can't put the horse back in the barn on what Ron said, even though. I guess he attempted to do that this morning. The one thing that I would say to your point um, that he spent much of uh, you know that opening prepared statement and even some of the follow-up stuff on the portion of what he said yesterday that dealt with him and Del Rio kind of having head coaching experience and Eric Bieniemy not having it and this idea that you know you kind of learn to be a little bit more flexible, a little bit less rigid when you have head coaching responsibilities versus you know, just coordinator um, responsibilities. And I, I would just say that I, I, and I think I told you this this morning, I think that was just easier to sort of explain and extricate himself from versus the other. Because he said that players, a number of players came to him. And to your point, we don't know specifically what they came to him for other than what he said, which was to express concern over Eric Bieniemy's intensity and style, basically. Um, you can't really put that one back into the toothpaste holder. That's what, you know, that was the headline um, more than anything else. Uh, and as I said on the podcast yesterday, it, what really was alarming to me and why I was kind of taken aback is that that's the kind of thing you usually get from a reporter who had a source, sometimes anonymous, that said some players have gone to the head coach about Eric Bieniemy's coaching style. But we didn't get it from a reporter. We didn't get it from a source 
that gave it to the reporter that, you know, a player speaking on the condition of anonymity, we got it directly from the head coach's mouth, which made it just, you know, in many ways kind of unbelievable. But anyway, let's talk um, Let's talk some football, all right? I, I want to, first of all, know what we've learned from today about how Friday night will be handled as it relates to starters against the Browns. Yeah, I mean, we don't know a ton. We do know that Sam Howe is going to start. I, I'm not. That's not exactly a shock, but nonetheless, that that, that we've we've all confirmed that with the team. Uh, beyond that, you know, how long w- will they go? You know, let's assume that the first drive isn't uh, ten plays, eighty yard touchdown, and then it can feel pretty good. Uh, you know, I would think you go a couple series. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. It's not so much as you know. How does Sam Howe look throwing a? Uh, you know, a, a bomb or, or a steam pad. It's like, okay, let's see him manage the whole system, the whole operation, call the plays, get it in on time, get the huddle, get everybody organized in the huddle, get out on the field, run the play, do it all over right. again, and do that consistently. You know, again, he's only had the one start in the one game in the NFL, and, uh, you know, that was a big part of the plan for the team back in the minicamp at OTA time was for how to get – um, you know, as comfortable as possible being that guy at this level. So let's see where that goes. And that can't just be my head one series or two, even maybe not even two series. The issue is, of course, let's put aside the, to a degree, injuries are going to happen. They can happen in practice. They can happen anywhere. But, you know, obviously there's no point in risking Terry McCorn a ton, maybe not like a Charles Leno, but yeah, you don't want to leave Sam Howell out there naked, right? Because right. obviously – he needs to play and, and you know play with guys who are kind of can help him. So that that I think is the rub. I would almost guess that on the defensive side, boy, I don't know if I see any reason for John Allen or Deron Payne to play. You know, uh, let let some of the younger guys, or if they do, you know, fine, beat up on somebody else for a minute, but then get get out. That would seem to be a fairly logical approach for, for the defense. Uh, you know, there's guys that you know, there's tons of defensive linemen who need to wrap. There's tons of guys in the secondary, like Juan Martin and Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, whereas, like, say, Kendall Fuller, eh, you know, it, I, I don't think he has to play much or, or, or at all. So, uh, yeah, I think the defense, to me, seems more likely to play very little. The, the main guys, whereas in the offense, I guess it's going to come down to how much they want to run at how out there and therefore uh, who, who do they want to you know, help them out. You made a really, really good point this morning, as you often do um, when you were. I was going to say, I love when you say that. When that you, makes me but feel good. you know that I, um, I, I enjoy our conversations, and I, I've always said this about Ben. I think Ben thinks. Uh, I think he's a good thinker, and I think that he is um, because of it. It makes his writing in the Athletic excellent. Uh, and sometimes different than everybody else's in his observations. But, you know, you made a point, and it's a really good one, and that is we're all going to be watching these preseason games this year because there's this quarterback that we're all intrigued with. Like, is he or isn't he the guy? And while I don't know we're, if we're going to learn a whole hell of a lot, we'd learn. I, think, I still think we'll learn more about what the coaches say and – you know, how much he plays and whether or not Bursett actually starts to close the gap and we start to feel that versus what we see on the field necessarily, unless it's an absolute disaster. But we have the the how reason to watch this team in dreadful preseason games. But the point you made this morning is the other guy that's brand new to this position that he's in is Eric Bieniemy. He hasn't called plays. He hasn't, you know, I think he's contributed to game plans. I think he's contributed to play design, which we've heard a lot about, you know, from his days in Kansas City. But he needs to get in, as much as Sam needs to get into a rhythm uh, of taking the play into his ears uh, in the huddle and then communicating that play to everybody in the huddle and then communicating pre-snap as to what he sees and then, you know, acting based on what he sees post-snap. Eric Bieniemy needs to get some experience in calling plays into the in, into the helmet of a quarterback that has just as much experience as he does, you know, in doing what he's going to do. And it'll be interesting to see if Ron decides to really give them in these games, and maybe it'll come more in the Baltimore 
practices and the joint practices next week. But, you know, you'd hate to see it be a total disaster from, you know, a, a functionality standpoint in the opener against Arizona because they didn't work on it enough and get comfortable enough in the opportunities that they had in the preseason. Yeah, you know, to, to tie it back into the other discussion about things Rivera said over the last 24 hours, there, you know, there are a lot of people out there who think that Eric Bieniemy is coming in here to be the savior. The reality is he's coming in here to get an opportunity. He 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 has he did not call plays with the Chiefs, and even if he did it for a moment or two, Andy Reid was standing there looking over his shoulder, right? Because that's what he's it's his offense, it's what he does. Um, you know, sure he was with the winningest organization of recent vintage in this league, but you know it wasn't just because of him. And uh, you know he this is his chance to show that he can do this. And the point of this, you know, why I know people looked at it as a why is he taking sort of a lateral job to come to this place? It's not exactly a lateral job because of the play calling. He gets the associate head coaching title. They've allowed him to completely design practices, all these things. But now this is his chance to show he can do it and thus get perhaps the next job that everybody has wanted for him, or so many people have a head coach. But yeah, he he it's it, it's a he needs to prove it. It's not it's not a it's not that he's done it, and I think that's where it's, there seems to be this misconception with some with some voices out there about about this thing. Which isn't to say he can't. That's a separate topic. It's to say we don't know, and, and yeah, that's why he needs to get this work in. And, and we were talking about you know part of the, this conversation is we, we sort of just say generically offensive coordinator has he done it or whatever. There are the basic points of, the, of that job are game planning and play calling. Game planning is important, but it goes out the window when you're down fourteen nothing in the first quarter, or um, you know, or, or uh, you know, you're facing third and four from the other team's forty nine yard line. You're down four points with four minutes to go. What are you calling? Right? Like this is you have you can't just like watching Sam Howell in practice throw you know throw darts in seven on seven. It's not the same thing when Michael Parsons is trying to you know, run you down. Then what? So that is, that's why this is an experience, an opportunity. And, and it, you know, it isn't just Sam Howard. It's also this other guy who is a very important figure for this uh, situation. I think I'd add to the enemy thing, not to, um, you know, go through what I've gone through probably a dozen times since they hired him. It's not just, you know, this opportunity for him. It's the only opportunity that he has, and it may be his last opportunity. No one else wanted to give him a chance. Washington's the only team that did. He's got to make some hay this year. And for him, you know, he needs to be comfortable, and he and Sam Howell have to be ready in that opener September 10th to function uh, in their communication uh, and, you know, uh, uh, just to get the – I mean, look, I remember, you know, not to bring up Dwayne Haskins, rest his soul, but I remember all of the concerns before he started that first game in Buffalo. Oh, my God, they're going to have 15 delay of game penalties. They're going to use up all their timeouts. And actually, it was a pretty smooth operation uh, between, you know, at the time it was Kevin O'Connell, right? Because Callahan had already taken over. And so it was O'Connell and Dwayne Haskins. Well, that was great. And it allowed him to to play and it allowed the rest of the offense to function. You can't have, you know, week one, even though these are two new guys doing what they're doing, at least with, with respect to their responsibilities, and a, a whole, you know, group of players that are, you know, do, uh, working with this offense for the first time. I just hope they take advantage of the opportunities they have the rest of the summer and that we don't see a shit show on September 10th, September 17th, and September 24th. You know, like we have early in seasons in Ron's first three years. You know, I hope whatever they do, they don't give it away in terms of what they want to do, but there's enough preparation time in, in live settings to, to have them ready for the opener. Yeah, and I would just also add, because no one – I'm positive somebody who's listening to this is going to be tweeting you and I saying, oh, you guys are being negative, yada, yada. Uh, no, we're being practical. Like, you can't just assume that, okay, we'll go the 
put the ball down, go out there and play football. We've done it in the backyard. We see players do it every week. Shouldn't be a big deal. Well, it is. It's, we don't know. I, you know, it's, it's, it's same thing applies to teams that have rookie quarterbacks, except that you accept the fact that the rookie quarterback is young, uh, which is the case with Hal. But then you also have, on top of it, a new coordinator, not just new as in he's done it before elsewhere and is doing it here. He has not done it elsewhere. He's just here for the first time. So there's, there's a lot going on. And, you know, we're not even discussing exactly that the offensive line has been, you know, a shaky unit, and that's a concerning group. Logan Thomas, their top tight end, probably is not going to play uh, this game, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. They've got to figure it out, and I'm not saying they won't, but that's why you, the way, you know, if they're going to tell us practice matters, well, then so does this. Like they, you can't just say, ah, well, we'll figure it out. No, they got to, they got to get to go through this process. And uh, that's what this game is, you know, starts to be about, as well as the next week's uh, joint practice. Look, a practical answer would also be the offense is going to be a work in, pro- work in progress. They have legitimate reasons if they start slow, new. You know, an inexperienced quarterback, you know, a, a, a an OC that's never called plays before installing a new system for everybody. But look, they don't have, with the way they are have been given this opportunity to start against the worst team on paper in the league, a team that is, you know, also in their situation, not a quarterback uh, or head coach, but installing a new deal at Denver – if they don't take advantage of these two weeks and come out of it, worst case, 1-1, one one, they're staring 0-4 in the face because they're going to be a dog against Buffalo and a dog against Philadelphia, and that's when all hell you know, could break loose, and we're barely out of September. So they, they have legitimate you know, kind of reasons for a slow start offensively going in, but I don't know if they have the luxury of being able to use those ex- excuses or reasons given how important really this opener is. It's really actually a very important opener for a lot of reasons. You're going to have a near packed house or maybe a packed house of the most fans that have come to watch you play a game in several years in that stadium. And it'll be a celebratory atmosphere. Uh, and you're playing a team that you'll be a solid six-point favorite against and should beat. Um, I mean, I say should. I don't know if they should beat anybody. But it's one of the games on the schedule that you know they were lucky to get in the opener, I think. Um, anyway, I want to ask you about a couple of specific players and then ask you if we learned anything from Jack Del Rio speaking today. And we'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This final segment of the show is brought to you by Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street Northwest for the best cigar bar in town. Tommy's favorite spot uh, in town. They've got a great menu, too. Great cocktail list, beer list, wine list. It's a real neighborhoodish feel, uh, but you're likely to see somebody uh, famous in there because whenever the bigwigs, sports-wise, come in from out of town, they end up at Shelley's. Uh, Tommy might be there as well, although not this month. 
uh, as he summers uh, in Spain. Yes, that's where he is right now. Um, Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street, Northwest. Uh, did you learn anything from Jack Del Rio's uh, get-together with the media today? You know, I'm feeling very uninsidery uh, today. I didn't get to Del Rio either because I was trying to – so then, for what it's worth, as soon as practice ends, the players are walking off the field. You only have a relatively a short amount of time to get somebody there. And because, you know, there were still some things going on here with this Rivera the enemy thing, tried for that, but then Del, the, the, whoever's talking with Rivera or somebody else, they go pretty quick. So I didn't hear great Del Rio directly. I, I did get a sense that it wasn't much, you know, he was asked a little bit about this Rivera the enemy thing, and he didn't really offer too much. And I, I didn't even, you know, nobody seemed to even suggest there was anything particularly notable no. or quotable no. with what he said. So I, I didn't. Um, so, okay, so I, I guess the one thing that is fascinating is like a year ago at this time, Del Rio was the one facing a lot of questions because of his comments a year ago uh, about the January 6th dust up and all that. And now a year later, he's the, the, the calm district coordinator who nobody's paying attention to. So true. I mean, we are a year removed from dust up, Jack. Um, and even, you know, the, the fine uh, and the idea that, you know, everybody had Del Rio on that hot seat. Um, and he seems to be uh, the most calm and most um, solidly entrenched uh, guy out there. Uh, no, the one thing that I always just find so interesting is, you know this, because we all get the transcripts of all of the pressers sent by the team. And Ron's are always multiple pages, and Jack's like, you know, is like a page and a half. I mean, he said a lot today more than he typically does. I read through the transcript, but he just doesn't give you much at all. Like, you know, look, I know he made that comment last year, uh, and everybody, you know, in their PR department cringed when he said it, um, regardless of, of your political position. But for the most part, Jack gives you nothing. Uh, and stays positive about everybody. Um, what's Chase Young looked like to you? I mean, I think he's looked pretty good. I mean, I don't even think there's reason to discuss whether he looks athletically back to normal or if there's any concern. You know, obviously, I don't know the inter- internal structure of what's going on with the knee, but he doesn't look like any worse for wear at all. Um, he's looked pretty, you know, aggressive and forceful in in. Uh, you know some uh, real, you know, real life situations there on the line. Uh, you know, I think what I want to see from him in this game, assuming he plays a reasonable amount, is uh, what's his pass rushing plan look like. I think that is for me as much of a question as anything, because not only would that help potentially unlock his performance, but it will tell us about his thought process, you know, his approach to this, to improving. Because I think that was one of the big issues that they had before was that he just kind of, you know, ran straight up the field. He tried to beat tackles with his um, athleticism, and that only got so far. You know, we see that a lot of times with athletes. Uh, you know, they've been able to dominate at some of the lower levels just based on being a physical freak, and then they get to a certain point, you're like, oh, I guess I, that doesn't work. Now what? And then some advance and some don't. And that's what I want to see with him is what does he look like? And, you know, we see a little bit in practice. I've noticed him a couple of times, you know, taking the tackle inside, not just going straight up the field and and, and getting uh, into the backfield again. There's no hitting in practice, uh, no hitting the quarterback. But, um, yeah, I want to see what that looks like in a real game against a real uh, opponent. Is there? Why did you tweet out yesterday that Montez Sweat is a monster? What was he doing? I just think he, you know, he, you know, they have a lot of these. Uh, this, at this point of, the, of training camp, they have a lot of like one-on-one scenarios. Uh, you know, with, with a, an offensive and a defensive lineman going to head-to-head, and just whenever he's out there, he's just always seemingly winning those and, and and when he wins a lot of these battles whether it's the one-on-ones or whether it's you know the, the more standard 11 on 11 it, it just looks the part he it, you know he, he's so athletic as we know he's such a physical freak uh there's just a little bit extra there and, that, and that's been the case you know his whole time here the issue is well i mean it's just 
you know, he's always feels like, you know, Doc Walker, else like he's like a second behind uh, before from getting the sack. And, and that's why his numbers have been off. And it's kind of almost inexplicable to say why, but he just looks the part. And like I would say, you know, overall, like he looks better than Chase Young. I, I know there's a lot of people who would say, well, Chase Young's the better guy. And, you know, Washington you know, may not be able to keep them both. That's probably true. But I don't know that right now there's much of a debate which one I would keep. Uh, again, we'll see what happens when the games turn real. But but Montez Sweat, to me, looks like a guy who is poised for, for a pretty good year. All right, last one. Has there been a player through the first, you know, week and a half that has stood out to you that surprised you? Um, you know, I was talking about this earlier with uh, – our friend Matt Paris. Like, I, I don't know it surprises me that Benjamin St. Deuce is a good player. Might surprise me that he could arguably be the, the most outstanding player in camp right now. I, I thought he's, you know, I think a lot of us think he's been looked pretty good and he's playing outside and he's playing in the slot. So not, not surprised that he's played well, but just to the degree that he's played well, look, it looks very promising, uh, for, for him. This year, um, you know, we don't talk about them a lot in training camp because it's like we, we take Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dodson for granted a little bit. But, man, they are just some smooth as silk route runners. Um, you know, McLaurin, you know, almost every practice now has like one play. We're like, OK, that's why that guy got all the money. And, uh, you know, Dodson, you know, it does not look like the, the you've ever heard of the term sophomore slump the way he the way he's looking. I mean, he's been really sharp out there as well. Um, you know, beyond that, like I think Cody Barton has stood out to me as that, you know, Mike linebacker. I think when they do the five one five lineup, I I think right now to me he would be the one as opposed to Jamin Davis. That's my guess at this point. Uh, you know, so I think he's looked good. I I wouldn't go crazy for the tight ends, but you know, Cole Turner, if, if the ball gets to him, I, I feel like he's gonna catch it. And at his height he gives the quarterback a really nice target. And, you know, look, they may need him depending on how long Logan Thomas is going to be out. I mean, they'll obviously need him, but, I mean, they may need him in a larger role if uh, Thomas remains out. So, uh, you know, I think those are a couple of guys that stand out. I could probably go through a few more if we go deeper down the depth chart, but I think those are some of the guys that that stood out. If you hadn't said Benjamin St. Juice, I was going to bring him up because um, uh, I I think that, I'm hearing that they just absolutely love him. And somebody told me to go back and listen to what Ron Rivera said when I was on vacation about Benjamin St. Juice. And I listened to that earlier today. Um, and there's no doubt that, look, I think when this guy's been healthy, he's been really good. I mean, you know, there were plays I can think of from that Minnesota game and from, like, I even liked him on a couple of the blitzes, the corner blitzes. He's just a player. You know, he's just a really good player. And he's got that size and that physicality um, that you like to see now in today's NFL, that stickiness. And it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think one of the, you know, most of the things we're talking about is sort of, uh, you know, angsty conversations about some of these things as a quarterback, the offensive line, the enemy, whatever. The, the secondary, it's all positive. The question is, who are they, who are they going to use as their primary five? Um, you know, Emmanuel Forbes has certainly, you know, he lived up to the, the, the hype as being the 16th pick, but he's an outside guy. I don't think St. Jude's is like the definition of what you're looking for in a slot, but right. at the same point, he's played pretty well, yet they also have you know, Quan Martin, the second round pick, to some degree they have Cam Curl. So, like, they have options. And then, you know, like, Percy Butler, I think, has had a pretty good camp. Derek Forrest continues to progress. So, like, they've got options. And, you know, especially, like, other than the defensive line, I think the secondary probably feels like the best unit right now. I mean, maybe if you say you're the top four receivers, but, um, yeah, they've looked good. And, uh, you know, if you combine the pass rush with good coverage play, I mean, that is how you get a top you know, three, four, five, seven defense. Last one. Um, is there a kicking competition between Sly and Badgley or not? Yeah, I mean, unlike, I guess, how the quarterback situation plays out, there is one. Um, they're both getting, you know, work and, you know, they kind of alternate, uh, you know, when they do like two-minute drills, you, you know, it'll be one of them uh, for, for one and the next one for the, for, uh, for the next one. 
The only thing I guess I would that has that makes me hesitate from a real competition is that you know Basley's limitations are distance, both in terms of field goals and then he doesn't typically do kickoff. So that feels like Joey Sly would really have to botch this. You know, look, he missed what four extra points last year. Uh, you know, it's not so. so I'm not saying it's it's a, it's a lock, but he's been pretty on. He's been pretty on target so far, and he does just have better leg strength. Uh, you know, and the fact that Tressway is you know dealing with a little bit of a back issue here. And Tressway the other day said, you know, Tressway is like the nicest human on the planet. He said the other day when asked about possibly doing kickoff, if Basley is the guy, he basically said, look, I wouldn't tell Ron no, but I'm going to tell him no. Like, I'm not doing that. So I, I, I just feel like it's going to be Joey Sly unless, you know, he goes through one of those slumps that kickers can go through where he just misses everything. All right, great job. Uh, at Ben Standig on Twitter, uh, The Athletic to Read Ben, and his podcast is Standig Room Only. Uh, we will chat on radio the rest of the week and maybe on the podcast sometime before the end of camp. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it, as always. Uh, as always, thanks for having me on. Ben Standig, everybody. Uh, I'm going to leave you with this today. I'm going to leave you with just a couple of Ron Rivera sound bites from when I was away on Benjamin St. Juice, tell me you don't leave uh, this show if you listen to all three of these sound bites, thinking that Ron Rivera really, really likes Benjamin St. Juice. He's not the only one out there. Uh, it's going to be tough to keep Benjamin St. Juice, even with all the corners they have, off the field for any less than whatever the top corner plays in percentage of snaps this year. Uh, I'll leave you with that. I'll be back tomorrow. And then Benjamin St. Juice, what sort of growth have you seen in oh, him? Wow. A lot of confidence. Um, you know, he, he's, 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 you know, now into the system three seasons, and you see him play with confidence. You, 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 play, you see how sure he is of, of his technique, um, how much stronger he is. Um, he's a good physical res, uh, corner for us with good length, and so that's, that's kind of cool, and I think it'll be very helpful. When you, ha- when you start to see a player get that kind of confidence, what are some th- little things that happen on the field as a result of that? I think as a coordinator, as a play caller, you know, it gives Jack confidence knowing that, you know, we can design something that, that will highlight and feature his ability. We can design or highlight something that, that, that obviously that will um, play to his strengths and allow us to do some things differently. And, and that's one of the things that's been really good. The other thing he's done a nice job, too, is he's, he's gone from corner to nickel seamlessly. And that's something that we, we we're really pleased with because, again, you know, this game is a game of matchups. And, and when you get in certain situations, you know, would we be able to match him up in the slot? Well, depending on who it is, absolutely. You, sometimes guys going into the slot, they're always, you know, they're, they're not as, as willing. They, they, they play a little more tight, a little more hesitant. A little more safe, and and with 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 Benjamin, man, you see the confidence in which he plays, um, and it's not where he's you know just taking a shot or anything. It's just that he's you know really in line in tune with with the techniques and the guys that he's working with around him. Second and five, Dickerson again. Dickerson comes. Good night. Somebody's going to have to really run. It's going to be Daryl Green from behind. Dickerson down. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.